0: Podcast. You can start out as a bum where you really can't do it, you know, and over time you can actually learn. You can get better. There is hope, it does happen. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. All is right in
1: the world because my friend, Stephen Pressfield is back in the studio, returning for his second appearance on the show. And uh, it is all glorious.
0: The person that's toiling in obscurity, trying to learn a craft or to, you know, to bring forth whatever it is inside of him. I really do believe the gods watch over that person. For those who are unfamiliar, Stephen is a
1: prolific writer and prolific thinker, known best for his deep insights into the creative process and the psychology of success. His books, The War of Art, Do the Work, and Turning Pro, have Inspired and motivated millions of readers around the world to embrace their creative compulsions and pursue their dreams with conviction and determination. And the impact those books have had
0: on my life on a personal level is just absolutely incalculable. Success, quote unquote, doesn't manifest immediately. It might be another 20 years before that thing, you know, comes to fruition. I got
1: a couple more things I would very much like to mention before we dig into this one. But first, let's acknowledge the awesome organizations that make this show possible. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology I've been rocking Ons high performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. I'm super proud to announce Okay, today we sit down, we discuss Steven's brand new memoir. It's called Government Cheese. Really enjoyed that book. In it, he shares the improbable story of his life as he goes from this sort of lost and broken truck driver to ultimately fulfilling his dream of becoming a writer. And of course, within that we explore the processes required to birth a creative work and share it with the world,
0: as well as plenty of solid life advice for any and all. I know from experience that that self-doubt is a good sign, that it's, you know, the bigger the resistance, the bigger the dream. Again, I really enjoyed the book, Government Cheese. More importantly,
1: I always love spending time with Steve. It's a joy. He's just a wonderful, humble, wise human. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So pull up a chair and let's get lost together. So nice to see you. Been looking forward to this for such a long time. (laughs) Um, Congrats on the new book. Thank you. (laughs) Just churning them out. It's unbelievable. You are a product of your own advice and philosophy, walking the talk.
0: You know, part of this really is COVID. You know, it's like that whole period of time where you couldn't really do anything Mm -hmm. in terms of getting anything out there. So, you know, I just worked. You know,
1: yeah, but a lot of people let COVID break them. You know, a lot of people descended into
0: you know black holes of darkness and paralysis. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, for the the writer's life, it's not that different from the COVID <laughs> yeah, know you're life. Like, you know, this you're, is perfect. You're home in a room. My phone
1: rings a little yeah. bit less.
0: <laughs> yeah, um,
1: but. You know, you always say, you know, it never gets easier. Like the resistance is always there, no matter how many books you write, no matter how many times you've gone to battle, you know, with resistance. Um, and I think, you know, obviously this is a universal thing. We all experience some version of of what you speak about. Um, but during COVID, I think, you know, a lot of us let resistance get the best of us. You know, so maybe there is something to. The number of times you've gone to battle, that you were able to you know, muster the resilience to continue that battle when it broke all the amateurs uh, out there.
0: maybe what, I mean yeah. what about you with your training and stuff Richard? I mean, you turning it I around. know that <laughs> I was reading about David Goggins the other day uh-huh. that maybe he even said this on with you, that some mornings he would stare at his running shoes for 20 minutes before he could actually make himself put mm. them on. I mean, speaking of resistance, I mean, do, yeah. you, I mean, do well, you have w- to fight it every day, yeah, right? It's,
1: it's it's interesting. I think that story came up when you did Rogan's podcast. I think he was sharing oh, that is that, what that, 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 was. That, ah. that That David had had shared that with Joe. And, uh, and I listened to that and I thought, yeah, that's the case. There's certainly days you don't wanna lace up and, and get out there. I think the difference for me is that I don't experience a lot of resistance with training. Like I like it. Like uh-huh. if I have nothing to do, like, it is my joy to go out and Uh, push my body. So, I mean, of course there's, it's raining and cold out. You don't wanna do it, et cetera. And the resistance will certainly creep up in those moments. But by and large, it's like the highlight of my day. It's uh, like, it almost feels indulgent or or selfish. Like, uh, ooh, I get to go do this thing. So the resistance in my experience shows up in other areas like, you know, Writing uh-huh. it's, it's something you know a little bit about, uh-huh. like yeah. you know, I think I shared in the first podcast that we did together that this you can make a solid argument that this entire podcast, this decade of podcasting, is one colossal you know example <laughs> of you know this this sort of monument to resistance that I've built to uh, make me feel better about not writing another book, you know, and that's huh. that's changed a little bit. Uh, we can get into that, but I guess you know the point being that resistance varies and it's different for every single person and i think people do look at me as like this athlete but i my relationship with fitness is not where i that's it's like i think david is somebody who would say i hate he always said i hate running i hate uh, you know he does it because it is a practice of him having to confront resistance uh-huh. and that's empowering and you know has allowed him to you know create this whole life and my relationship to that world is a little bit different because i kind of Find joy in it in Uh a way. Um, And that doesn't mean it's not hard. It's just, you know, resistance manifests in Uh, other places. Yeah.
0: I mean, I have found sort of during COVID and post COVID that. As much resistance as I have to writing, it's a joy for me too. Mm. And it's like when I can get some of the other stuff that, you know, we were just talking earlier about starting a company and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. like that, a publishing company, that's the stuff I really hate. Yeah. You know, so I say, oh, thank God I can have, you know, a couple hours and I can just get in there and just face, you know, the blank page or whatever it is. So right. I can relate to what you're saying, Rich. But
1: you've been staring at blank pages for a long time and you know well enough. How to get you have enough experience of getting to the other side of that that you know if you just keep your ass in the chair, it's it's gonna work out okay at some point. And yeah, there will be some know, discomfort, you but you have enough of those blissful moments where the channel is wide open and the muse is, you know, dancing with you. <laughs> and I'm sure you live for those moments. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't always come, yeah, you
0: know, they don't always come when you when you summon them though, right? Yeah. No, it's you know it's the same thing of grinding it out, you know, yeah. and making yourself making it happen, you know, through action. Well, it was
1: really great reading government cheese. I loved it, uh, and I learned so much about your life. I mean, I've heard you speak about your journeyman days and all these, you know, I don't know, twenty some odd jobs that you've had over the years. And I did this, and I did that. But this book, like, holy shit! Like, I'm like, wow, you really did live the journeyman life. Like, I think it was. I mean, we're halfway into the book, and you know that that typewriter still hasn't emerged from the back <laughs> of the van. I was like, when does the writing part start? You know, like this was a hard-fought, you know, multi-decade thing. You know that 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 really, I mean, for me, it's beautifully raw, but it really um, gave me an appreciation of just how severe the resistance operated in your own life and everything you kind of endured and experienced. To become this person who has the authority to talk about like these issues, because you lived it as much as anybody, I'm sure,
0: ever has. Well, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, but yeah. it certainly was a long, hard slog before, you know, I took the typewriter out and mm-hmm. actually sat down and tried to, you know, and found that that uh, I could do it, and it wouldn't drive me crazy, whereas my first experience of it you know first trying to write the first book when i was 23 or whenever it was mm-hmm. was a complete disaster and a, yeah. th- a whole thing where i thought steve you're an absolute idiot for having tried to do this you know don't ever think about doing it again to the moment you know a few years later when i actually could sit down and even churning out just garbage just it didn't matter, you know, just the fact of being able to punch the keys and take a few pages out of the typewriter at the end was, you know, Battery charging to me instead mm. of battery depleting. Right. So early in the book, you know, we we were
1: made aware of this typewriter that's hiding underneath your mattress in the, in the jam. and then it really doesn't appear for quite some time. You know, and and you know, I'm I'm I don't know how many 150 pages into this book, and I'm like, this book should be called. Zen and the art of uh, big rig trucking. (laughs) The the amount of detail in the world of, you know, you you have these experiences in these various subcultures, and your depiction of your life at that time is done with so much tenderness, like so much appreciation for these characters that you encountered who, you know, were very colorful at times and, and in many ways like mentors. It is a book about mentorship.
0: Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, as you know, Rich, it's divided into seven books, and each book is named after a person, mm-hmm. and each person was a mentor to me. They were all men for whatever reason, yeah. and very few of them had anything to do with writing. You know, they were, you know, my boss at this trucking company that I worked at, and a guy that I picked fruit with in, in Washington, right. and I never even knew his last name, that uh, were real role models to me along the way. Even though at the time I wasn't thinking about that at all, right? Yeah, yeah. real like most of them, pretty salt of the earth guys. So they guy, the trucking
1: guy was Hugh. What was his name? Hugh Reeves. Hugh, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, what a character! He was a total you were, salt of
0: the earth guy, right? That's for and sure.
1: you were how old were you at that time? I think I was twenty-seven or, or twenty-eight. Oh, you were—you know? oh, were older than I thought. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the way that the book unfolds, it's. It's hard to get a sense of the timeline because you jump around a lot. I was, I was like, kidding. wait, what Either part of I your life and you had confused. so many jobs. I'm like, I don't know where I am in this, in this narrative. But um, but you really get you know this sense of all these adventures that you want on that obviously like, you can't be a writer unless you've lived your life, right? Like you're
0: out in the world,
1: you know, having all these experiences, these rich experiences.
0: I, mean, that I sort I'm sure. of wonder how people that, you know, these kind of boy wonders or girl wonders that kind of come out of YouTube or something like that these days and produce stuff that's really good too. Mm -hmm. I wonder how they do it. Having, you know, like coming out of college and then basically going straight into whatever it is they're writing about and and doing a, a good job. I don't know how they yeah, do. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know how Bob Dylan comes, you know, to uh, Greenwich Village and immediately starts writing great stuff. You know, well, that's an interesting
1: person to explore because you're the first to say, kind of, talent is bullshit. It's really about process and work, and you know, showing up and meeting the resistance and all alone, of that. Yeah. But then, <laughs> you know, then you have, you know, you have the Bob Dylans, and you have these people who do seem touched, and I think, you know, that makes. The rest of us kind of look at creative pursuits as something inaccessible, or like not, you know, we're not privileged to be able to, you know, kind of
0: dance with the muse in the way that those people can. So we should just go get normal jobs. What I mean, what, I'd be interested to know what you think about that, Rich. I mean, you think about somebody like Neil Young. Or Bob Dylan, or any of those guys that, uh, or Joni Mitchell, that by the time they were 20 years old, they already had like a body of work, mm-hmm. and they were obviously writing from absolute strength, right? They were yeah. right in their groove, and they kept going. Some of them are still going, right? I don't know. How don't does know. that yeah. happen? What do you, what do you? Think? I mean, did you watch Get Back, the Beatles I documentary? Did, I've been wanting to, and I don't know what is it on Amazon? Something I can't access. I think it's I on. It's
1: on. No, it wasn't on Apple. Disney, I can't remember. I think we actually went to try to watch it the other day and we couldn't find it. I don't uh, know if it's still I mean, up, but anyway, to watch it. my point being like you get this front row seat to this unedited kind of bird's eye view of the greatest rock band to ever, to ever do it while they're just cracking songs in real time. Like you're, see, you're, you're, you're bearing witness to an unadulterated view of the creative process in real time and it's really beautiful and magical uh-huh. like That's when they're just working out it. these songs and you're just like oh my god like this is where it happened and then you realize how young they were yeah and you're like cuz you don't think of them being like really yeah. young people who you know the and the band ended when they were still quite young and you're like how did they know how to do all of that stuff at yeah. such a young age and maybe music is different so i don't know maybe I do think there are some people who are touched right but i think most people who are working in the creative pursuits are not you know anointed geniuses they're people who work really hard at their yeah. craft
0: it certainly that certainly was my experience yeah. you know you know, if there's any sort of lesson, like as I'm, I, because I've been looking back thinking on this, right? Mm-hmm. I've been doing some podcasts and people have asked me questions, so I had to think about it. And if there's any sort of lesson that comes out of this for me, it's that you can get better. You can start out as a bum where you really can't do it, you know? You're, as hard as you try, you just can't do it. And over time, you can actually learn and get better. Mm-hmm. At least in writing. It's not like necessarily being an athlete where there's a certain sell by date, you know, where you know when you're right. 75 years old you're not going to be whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, you can get better. There is hope. It does happen.
1: Yeah, I mean not everybody can be LeBron James or Prince or <laughs> you know somebody like that, but your book is in and the memoir really, you know, tells the story of just how you know, long the journey was and what's a, what's remarkable, like if you have a true God-given talent, it's your ability to kind of stay in it. You know, most people would have just spun out and ended up in some other job or career, but you kept at it and writing novels, like a year, two years to write these novels that nobody would publish and to continue to do it. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's like a glutton for punishment at some point. And I can't imagine the voice in your mind, you know, to, you know, that the war that was going on between, like, really, you're going to write another novel when, you know, the last one nobody wanted to touch, uh, with, like, that's just resistance. You got to keep
0: going. Are you a writer or are you not? Well, you know, it, you know it's it really when I think about it too, I sort of wonder how I did it too. Yeah. But each time I would sort of try to go straight you know, get a real job, like like I had several jobs at ad agencies uh-huh. throughout this thing, cause that's a job, if you're a sure. writer, you can get that job, right? But each time, each day, at the end of the day, I would be so depressed, mm-hmm. you know, that I just had to go home and try to write a chapter, half a chapter or something like that, you know, I wasn't living any kind of life like, you know, chasing women or anything yeah. like that. It was all in this one groove of just trying not to be so depressed It's so ready to, to kill myself, you know, because of what I, you know, trying to go straight during the day. So I just knew I couldn't do that. It wasn't an option for right. me. Right, you know? this, this is who you are. This, this has to be birthed into the world, like your
1: life depends
0: on it. Yeah, it, r- true, right. you know, no plan B sort of type thing. You may, may want to have a plan B, but they just don't work, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and you, there's the characters when you're picking apples who, you know, these guys are like, I mean, they're riding the rail cars, right? Like these are, these are like hardcore, yeah, like hobo lifestyle, yeah, train car dudes. Yeah. And even one of them, I can't remember his name, is like, you know, I tried to, you know, I had a, I had a girlfriend and I had a solid job and I did it and he lasted like 90 days yeah. or, you know, and he's like, I gotta, yeah. you know, like what is, this this idea that we've been sold about what it what it means to live a happy you know fulfilling life, in many ways is a lie. And you've had the experience of being with lots of different people who have rejected that and are considered lunatics or you know kind of outcasts or outliers as a result of that. But there's also like a lot of wisdom yeah. to be mined from somebody who has the courage to step outside of that and say I'm going to live
0: differently, and I don't care what. Society thinks about that. Although I'm not sure how much of a choice it is for people like that. Maybe, yeah, of course, right? Yeah. You know the when I was there was one little bit in the book about when I was uh, living in a halfway house, you know, for people coming out of state institutions and stuff like that, and uh, how my sort of conclusion about who they were because they were really interesting people. I mean, we would sit in the kitchen at night and talk about all this kind of crazy stuff, you know, men and women, and they were certainly as smart as anybody I knew, and as interesting as anybody I knew. And I sort—my of, conclusion was that they were people who saw conventional life—the life of having a job, of settling down, of having a—they that, that, saw completely through that. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't do it, you know, which m- meant that they were crazy as far as the world was concerned. The world locked them up in, in institutions, but they sort of. Uh, and there was no place for them to go. It wasn't like there there was a job that they would fit into or anything like that, so, but they were, you know, almost like if they could have joined an Indian tribe, like dances with wolves, they would have Mm -hmm. done it. And these fruit tramps were the same kind of guys. I mean, they were all alcoholics, flat out wino, Uh you know, drink till you pass out, you know, get up the next morning with no intention of changing that, you know? There was no thought of going to AA or this was whatever Mm -hmm. they were, but they also felt like they couldn't work a straight job. There just was no way to do that. So they had found this this kind of crack in the society, you know, right. picking fruit and riding the rails and, and, you and know, for and whatever. And no one's gonna give them a hard time and tell them they need to change. Like they're in
1: kind of a, an enabling environment yeah. for that kind of yeah. life and behavior. But it's
0: a really sad environment yeah. and it's, and scary to be in as a like, a, you know, a, a more or less regular person like I was, because it's like, Guys don't have teeth. Yeah, Their eyes are. Well, that screwed guy up. like
1: had the big medical. Pro- you know, you're hauling this dude off, and then yeah. he dies, and People then you actually found a body in the orchard. Yeah, it's I like, mean, you know, but that's real.
0: That's apparently yeah. pretty common, you know. Mm-hmm. So you could really see these guys as wonderful as they were, and as pure as they were in a certain way, that they had a limited lifespan. You knew, you know, if you came back three years from now, you might not see them again. And they knew it too, and they just you know, right. There was no Plan B. And so, what do you mine from that for your like? What do you what do you, what can be learned from that? I feel like I'm that way. I feel like artists are that way. You know that you can't live the normal conventional life as much as you may want to. You have a, a sliver of a skill that you can do that maybe is marketable if you can make it marketable, but there's no al- there's no choice, right? There's no alternative. You're either in that little lane mm-hmm. and make it work or you're going down, you know? So, and I don't see anything wrong with that, you know? I, I feel a kinship to those guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, who says that this, like uh, that this, world that we believe in of having money in the stock market and trying to get your kids into Harvard and who says that's such a great thing? What's so yeah. great about that? You know, um, to get here today, you know, you gotta drive past these companies, you know, these, I don't know mm-hmm. what they are, you know, but they're like white-collar jobs around here. It's a prosperous area, and I'm, as I'm driving past, I'm thinking, I'm sure you think the same thing, Rich. If I was in one of these things, I'd kill myself. You know, there's no way I could I could do that. So what's so great about that? And of course, people that are living that life, they have alcoholism problems, and they're beating their wives or whatever, or or they're just miserable.
1: Yeah, and that's not to say that there aren't people who find some level of happiness in that, yes, like no so judgment. If, that, if you're wired for that and you do that, that's great. Like I, you know, I think, you know, one thing we share, like you, you sort of were never really part of that. You always danced around the edges of it so that you could just make enough money to be a writer. Whereas I was kind of steeped in that and had to break free. So I've lived in both of these worlds yeah. and have a pretty good sense of what they're both <laughs> like. But yes, there is, you know, there is a falsity in, in this sort of Promise of the American dream, and we all kind of blindly premise our future happiness upon working towards these ideals without enough objective questioning of their veracity. I think. And that's not to say that every, like you said, like not everyone is born and bred to be an artist and to pursue that type of life, which is to invite a certain level of suffering and pain and risk into your experience that not all people are, you know, have the constitution for. Uh, But when you write, like when you write The War of Art and you talk about resistance, I do think we all have our own unique blueprint and we have something to say and express that's uniquely ours. And there's something important about everybody exploring that in themselves. And that doesn't mean they need to quit their jobs and, you know, go pick apples to write a book. But but I think it is, you know, kind of, uh, I think a sense of, full integrity with who you are is somewhat reliant upon being in communication with your own you know with your own sense of who you are and and sharing that with the world because there's only one you right and you talk about this all the time so please share it and don't keep it to yourself because the more you repress that i think that leads to all sorts
0: of dysfunction yeah I mean, I'll give you an example from a friend of mine, my friend Ruthie, if she sees this podcast, she's gonna mm. be felling, you know, <laughs> but uh, this is an example of somebody that has a calling that doesn't have a definition to it. So my friend Ruthie is, uh, she's, I don't think, mm-hmm. she, she's may have had one or two jobs in her life, but they only lasted like a couple of months. Basically, she's been a wife, you know, and kind of lived off of whatever husband she's been married to and, uh, but yet her, her role, and this is just sort of unfolded over time, in her family and her extended family and friends, if you're in trouble, you go to her. And she has bailed me out of stuff mm many times and I know I can see she d- does it for everybody it's like maybe in in a in a more of a um old world culture there would be the woman that you would mm-hmm. you know that everybody would go to if you really needed to get your shit together and she would help you somehow and that's her calling but there's no name for that right there's you, a, you don't you can't plug that into you know some specific job. And yeah, and they don't pay for it either. There's right. no salary attached to it, but that's her calling and she's gotten to that. So I'm, I, I refuse to believe that each individual doesn't have a calling. I think we all do. And I certainly don't mean to say that it has to be in the arts or anything mm-hmm. like that. It can be, and even the people that are working at these companies around here, I'm sure the ones that are happy probably have side things that that they do you know right. that they're passionate about and when the weekend comes they're heading to the mountains or they're doing something like that you know mm-hmm. that is more in in tune with their own soul mm-hmm. at least that's my hope right and and the the difference the qualitative difference
1: with like the quote unquote artist is that they have some kind of like pain body inside of them that they feel like they're going to explode unless they give birth to it yeah like, like that would be like Life is intolerable unless this thing is being nourished in some way. Yeah.
0: And they also have some sort of a platform or an outlet if you're a dancer, if you're a musician or something like that, where you can produce an actual product or an experience that will let you pay the rent, mm-hmm. you know? Right, but not all, you know, and that that can vary, right?
1: Yes, definitely. It's like, you know, there's being a movie star, and then there's, you know, there's doing, uh, you know, off Broadway. It, there's this comes in all permutations. Yeah, it's yeah. not like a money thing, right? This is like a, a this is this is like a, a yearning that has nothing to do with like commerce or. Or career, yeah. right? Like uh-huh. it's
0: this. You hope it might produce some commerce. Yeah, but it's really more about giving birth to something that's inside you that won't go away. And and like, where does that
1: come? Like, one of the things that I that I you know I love about you is that you know you dance with the mystical. Like you're not afraid to like explore the unseen energies and the and the vibrations, like the very subtle, you know, kind of wavelengths that you have to kind of be in communication with to be an expressive
0: person? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're any, any kind of a, an artist, a musician or whatever, a writer, it becomes very clear to you right away that what you're producing isn't coming from you, right? It's the question of where do ideas come from, right? Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, songs come completely intact to certain songwriters, right? From where? so you uh, you know you I think the evolution government cheese is really about the evolution of an of a writer or of an artist, mm-hmm. and there's certain things that you learn here, one is the kind of the craft itself, you know what is a story right how does a story start how do you what's the middle et cetera then there are the kind of soft skills like having the courage to start something. What do you do when you bog down in the middle? How do you handle rejection? You know, how do you, how do you uh, reinforce yourself when nobody else is reinforcing you? But then above and beyond that is the mystical element. Mm-hmm. And is the question of where do ideas come from? An idea for a play or an idea for a car that you're gonna build or whatever it is, where does that come from and where does it, I mean, the, the global idea, the big idea, and then day to day, as a, as a writer writing a novel, let's say, where do scenes come from? Where do the characters come from? And you definitely learn a respect for something that's unknowable. And, you know, in the book I talk about, uh, and I've talked about this in The War of Art too, yeah. I had a mentor named Paul Rink. Yeah, I was, I
1: was going to get to him. Ah. I mean, this is the first, you had lots of mentors, but this was really the guy.
0: He was probably the only actual writer mm-hmm. that's kind of sat me down and said, this is how, what you do, kid, you right. know? And I mean, how many books had you
1: written before you even understood what a story was or what a three-act structure was? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you could have saved yourself a, a little lot. time and energy and, you know, had you met up you, with your boy, you Robert a McKee guy. a little bit earlier. You know what it's like, you
0: know? <laughs> I've really learned it all kind of in the movie business, you know, uh-huh, bit right. by painful bit. But I got a lot of questions about that, but go uh, ahead. But speaking about Paul, my, my mentor, mm-hmm. I used to, uh, I, I was living on this little street in Carmel Valley, Northern California, and I had saved money and I was just re- setting, uh, trying to finish the first book I'd ever finished because mm-hmm. I'd crapped out earlier on, you know, and Paul lived up the street and he lived in a little camper, at a, he parked out in front of his house and I would have breakfast with him or, or coffee with him every morning. and he gave me, he typed out the invocation of the muse from the Odyssey, from Mm -hmm. Homer's Odyssey, from the T.E. Lawrence translation, Lawrence of Arabia, which I still have, it's like tattered into, it's like powder, but he sort of really introduced me to the idea that not only that things are coming from some other dimension, but that people for thousands of years have been have known about this mm-hmm. and have invoked that other dimension and uh, the muse, and so that really that was a huge thing to teach a young writer. You know, right. the respect for that that uh, has never left me for a minute.
1: So this guy he's living he's living in a camper in front of his house. he's got a house but he sleeps in the camper. I mean this guy's a character well, you but he also in a tent,
0: right? So you know what it is. Yeah, I get it.
1: I'm like he's yeah, but <laughs> listen, this guy's my spirit animal. Uh-huh. Um, but he, you know, provides you with the reading list. You're going to read all these people, all the greats from, you know, all of the Greeks but also, you know, the Russians and, you know, really is a taskmaster in that regard. And ends up you know providing you with all these principles that really become tenets in the other books that you write the prescriptive books that you write yeah. like when you finish a book you start another one yeah, like exactly. all these sorts of things yeah. that um become so fundamental like it's amazing does he did he ever like i don't know when he passed or whatever but did did, was he able to kind of appreciate the impact that he had on you or was there a level of pride and everything that you ultimately
0: were able to accomplish It's later? a good question because he died before I had ever had uh, any remote success, oh man. but I know that just, uh, you know, we had a friendship and he was just, you know, being a mentor to a mm. young guy that was trying to learn something. But yeah. one interesting thing, Rich was that As he had no respect for writers per se, and he would sort of warn me against you know like don't turn into that kind of you know Uh he said you know they're basically egomaniacs and basically they'll stab their own you know wife (laughs) in the back you know (laughs) so he said but he did he was certainly a real believer in in working hard and doing the absolute best you could with whatever your Mm. gift was you know that this was serious that you were not just churning out, you know, entertainment or something that you were in you were really trying to to bring your gift forth whatever it was and he was absolutely serious about it and he only really kind of like lecturing me, you know. Yeah,
1: and that it, it's worthwhile.
0: Yes. Right? Which a lot of people don't think, you know, yeah. what Hollywood is, you know. Yeah. People are there, you know, some of them are there to do good work, but a lot of them are not. Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh my favorite quote in the whole book comes from the section about him, which is God's watch over lost souls, particularly when they dream. Is uh, that from the invocation? I just wrote it down. Uh, no, that's actually- Is that Paul uh, or that, was that, that you? Was, that was me. Actually. That was you.
0: I mean, that's such a beautiful sentiment. But I, I do think it's true. Yeah. You know, that uh, the person that's toiling in obscurity, you know, Trying to learn a craft or to you know to to bring forth whatever it is inside of them, I really do believe the gods look down and, and mm-hmm. watch over you, you know, watch over that person, and uh, and and protect them somehow. You know, I can't prove it obviously, yeah. but I believe it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I believe it. I've felt it in my own life, and uh, it's a very tangible experience. And I think life. You know, you could, we could have an argument, is this real, is it imagined, yeah. but you know, I have my experience, you have your experience and I think life what's is your just better and Tell more interesting when <laughs> you <laughs>
0: indulge in this. I'm interviewing you, what's uh, your experience? I mean,
1: my experience is that, is that when you take those energies seriously and you respect them, that you are rewarded is the wrong word, but um,
0: you are heard and you get what you need. Now specifically, are we talking about athletics? Are we talking about writing? What are think, we talking I about? I think,
1: you know, I think of it in terms of the pursuit of the authentic self. So in your case, that's through writing and becoming an artist. But I think that can be, you know, experienced in many different ways, whether you're trying you're in a space in your life and you have aspirations to be this other person or you have a broader imagination of what your life could be like, but you don't know how to get from here to there. Like how do you navigate that? Well, there's practical considerations like, well, I interview for a job or I do, you know, these things. But I think from the unseen kind of spiritual realm, there's a you know, that's that's the lever, right? That you want to tap into. And I think it's about really connecting with the truth of who you are and living as integrous with that as possible. And when you do that. I think the universe sees that and pays attention and little little sort of bricks on the path are, are put in front of you to gently nudge you in one direction or the other. And if you are in a place where you have the presence of mind, the awareness to see that and heed that, then that process huh. compounds upon itself. Can you give me like a specific moment in your in your life? Well, I mean, I think, you know, and I told this story in Finding Ultra. Like, we, you know, like I was like, I, I can't be a lawyer anymore. And now I'm like going off and like training for these races. There's no career path here. But I felt certain in my conviction that this was necessary as a building block towards a different life, uh-huh. even though there was no logical or rational justification for that. And I had an aspiration or a dream of, being in a place where I could provide for my family in a way that was personally meaningful to me and helpful to other people. And what that looked like, I had no concept of. So it was holding loosely to that while also taking actions that honored that mm. internal voice, even if that voice was orthogonal to you know, societal values or what other people uh-huh. expected of me. And the more you honor that, the more likely you are to find evidence in the world to support that. Uh So like this idea of when the heart is true, the universe will conspire to support Uh you, which is sort of my version of saying, God's watch over lost souls, particularly Uh when they Uh dream. And that doesn't mean it's gonna manifest in the manner in which you choose or on the timeline that you prefer, certainly your timeline, you know, probably was not a preferred route for yourself. Uh Uh, But in retrospect, when you look back upon your life, it all looks like every little piece was necessary to
0: allow you to be here
1: today, right? There's this incredible design to the whole thing that when you're in the midst of it is very disorienting. And your only true north is that voice within yourself that you either choose to honor
0: or you repress. Yeah, yeah. And the other aspect of that is that When you, at least this has been my experience, that when you achieve some sort of a a breakthrough on that path, even if it's just a private breakthrough, that it doesn't, success, quote unquote, doesn't manifest immediately. Mm. It might be another 20 years before that thing, you know, comes to fruition. So in the movies, it's never like that, right? You know, somebody turns a corner and all of a sudden everything's great. But in, in real life, it doesn't seem to, to work. So what it. is an example of that for you? The fact that like War of Art
1: is still like finding new audiences and exploding in the no, way that it no, does or?
0: Like, um, you know, there's a, a story that I tell in A War of Art that I repeat in Government mm-hmm. Cheese about uh, a night when I was alone in my sublet apartment in, uh, in New York, where I finally got out the typewriter, sat down and, and it worked, uh-huh. you know? And I felt like in that moment, Okay, I'm a writer. You know, uh, you know, I'm a. i am aii knew I was, and I was a million miles away from actually succeeding, if I ever would succeed. But I felt like, okay, at least I can do this, and it works. It charges my battery. And it doesn't. But yet, it was still another like 25 years right until I got a book published. It, so, so, but insane. still, at that point, I became a different person. Mm-hmm. You know, something changed in in my DNA. You know. Uh, a certain level of self-doubt went away at that point. And and if you had to identify specifically what that was or how that happened and why that happened in that moment, Uh, how would you describe that? I think it just for me was, uh, it's it's a really good question because it's kind of mysterious. Uh, It's sort of like, You fail and you fail and you fail and you fail and you sort of build up a head of steam of failure. And like finally it's like you can't fail anymore, you know? The gods are gonna give you something. That may be a moment where, Mm. you know, heaven looked out for souls that dream, you know, where the other dimension said, Okay, we're gonna give it to this kid, you know. Let him he's he's earned it. Let's give him him a break. (laughs) Which I think is true, right? Uh You you sort of build up and build up and finally the gods say, Okay, we gotta give this guy something. Right. Right, and and your job is
1: to not relent, to not quit. Yeah. If you stay in it and your heart is true yeah. at some point. But
0: it's, it's like swimming in the middle of the ocean. It's yeah. like, what's the choice, right? You know? Well, you say like, so you, you
1: characterize it or you talk about it or think about it as this this like underground river, right? Yeah. The price of, of admission to which is the work. Yes, yeah. So your job is to do the work then you get to flow in this river, and the river is going to take you where it's going to take you. And there are these unseen energies. And when you're in that dance with the muse, and you know on a daily basis, and you're consistent in that regard, like something is going to happen. As long as you don't, you know, pull out of the river yeah, or stop or stop true.
0: doing the work. Which is a, it's a weird sort of contradiction in that we're talking about something really airy fairy. Yeah. Like when I say an underground river, I mean like for uh, for a writer, it's the, the stories that will come to you right or whatever it is that you're you're trying to write and that's that is this underground river that's inside mm-hmm. you but how do you get to it you don't get to it by mystical means at all you get to it by just busting your ass every day you know grinding it out mm-hmm. you know through day after day after day of n- having no inspiration at all that that that's the price Right, you, And there is no the other, least there is airy no fairy other way of getting it. Like there's the no. least sexy or airy fairy thing ever, yeah. which yeah. is like the grind. Yeah, and there's no, it's it's at athletics too, right? There's uh-huh. no other currency other than getting out there on the trail and doing your thing, right? Yeah. You can do it smart, but there's no other currency that heaven is going to accept. Yeah one of the things that i think is remarkable
1: about you and i and i see this in Ryan Holiday also is your ability to like produce a work and you're you're already steeped in the next work and this almost seamless segue from one thing to the next without like understanding that to take a break is to interrupt momentum and momentum is something to be protected and respected above all it has its own like force field and energy about it and you don't want to interrupt that, right? So you have to always be in this sort of perpetual motion from one thing to the next, which also is about decoupling the work from the results of the work, ah. right? Like, you, so it's easy to be like, let's myself. sit back. You just like government cheese is out. You're doing all these podcasts. Like, hey, let's. How's it doing? Like, let's take a beat now and let's let's you know like really get into like the results of the work. But I'm sure you're already well into whatever
0: it is you're writing next. Yes, I am. And I certainly have found that just through hard experience that the, the worst thing that any artist or creative person can do is finish one thing, put it out there and then like wait for uh-huh. the world to respond, you know? <laughs> because either the world is gonna totally ignore it or they're gonna crap all over it, right? So plus it, it violates some cosmic law uh-huh. You're not allowed to reap the fruit. You know, you're only allowed to move on to the next harvest, whatever it is, or the next planting. That's just the the cosmic law. Yeah. And uh, and the, do you, do you find yourself like, is there
1: superstition around that too? Like, absolutely. if you actually indulge in, like, oh, if I check that, then that's going to
0: really, this is going to undercut my you exactly know, absolutely. Right. You, you know, know how when you sort of when you really. Uh, Want something and you sort of check, I don't know what. Like you check your your email or your Instagram yeah. or something. The act of checking it, on some level, prevents the thing from happening. Mm-hmm. You know, right. at least that's my. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like when you forget it, uh-huh. then you come home and there's a letter. Oh, here it is. Here's a check. I was, you know, but uh, so yeah, I'm very superstitious about that. Yeah. What
1: are some of the other Superstitions.
0: I mean, I just do. We'll I mean, call them that—not
1: obsessive, compulsive
0: behaviors. But I'm sort of a belie- You know, uh, a <laughs> believer that uh, you know uh, things like um, like fairies and elves and, and angels, angels exist, uh-huh. and they're, they're right here, right now, and watching us. And uh, and if we, so I don't want to piss them off. You yeah. know, I want to show them respect, even in my own thoughts. You know, mm. because you know, uh, I don't know. Um, did I ever? Did we ever talk about the, my uh, when I was with the Maasai and the? Did I ever tell you I that story? I can't remember. I can't remember. But I'll please. tell you this for whatever yeah. this is worth. Somehow, I I I had this job and I got to go to Africa and I got to go to. We we flew out to this Maasai encampment by, by helicopter. Uh-huh. No roads. And when we got there, there was a camp of maybe a thousand people, women, kids, the whole thing. And the shaman had just decided, oh shit, we gotta move the camp. And Mm. everybody was just sort of getting set to do that. In order to do that, they had to get the white cattle to lead the other cattle to the new camp. Anyway, it was a whole involved thing, you know, and everybody had to like pack up all their shit and da da uh-huh. da, da, da da and it was all done in the greatest of good spirits, you know. Nobody was going, wow, well, what do we have to move the camp for? And they moved the camp like 300 feet, just up the hill. That was it. Boom. Thanks. Okay. And I thought to myself, I wish I could have talked to that shaman because I would like to ask him what was wrong. With 300 feet down there, why right. did we have to move? And I'm sure he would say something like, you know, if we had stayed there, so and so would have broken his leg. Mm-hmm. I could see, or mm-hmm. right, something like mm-hmm. that would. Somebody would have miscarried, or so, so we had to move there. So I don't know how to justify this, but I believe it. Yeah, I think. They saw the shaman saw something, so I'm superstitious about that sort of stuff. And uh, have you ever read Bob Dylan's book, whatever Chronicles Part Two or no. Part uh-uh. One? It's very much like that. I mean, he's like that. He thinks that way too. Yeah. Like, I had never thought about uh, how you actually make an album. You know, like he like he's got. Let's say he's got 14 songs. He's written them. He's got them on the piano. He's got them mm-hmm. on the guitar. But then the question is. What musicians am I going to have to do it? Who's going to produce this? Should we do it here in l a? Should we go to Memphis? You know, and he's looking for that myst- mysterious thing, you know?? Right. Who's the guy that's going to produce it? and the, the sort of the book is about his kind of he believes in this. This his crazy sort of. We're going here, and then we're mm. gonna go to this honky tonk. We're gonna talk to this guy. I never heard of this guy before. He's gonna introduce us to this woman. She lives in you know Biloxi, and we're gonna go there. Right. And somehow it works. Right. You
1: know? It's not. It's not something that that makes sense on paper. No. But not it's at about. All. <laughs> it's about resonance and vibration, and you know. Yeah. Like there is something about. You know, the unseen energies. And I think in our fast paced, modern, Western industrialized world, we've, you know, we've become people who live predominantly in our minds. And I think we have a certain hubris and arrogance about our intellectual capacities where we believe that we can be all knowing and our senses are unlimited. But the truth is, like, our senses are incredibly limited. I think, yes. a, I think there's a lot going on that, you know, our eyes and ears and taste and smell are not attuned to be able yeah. to
0: notice. You like, know what's really interesting to me, Rich, is now AI. Yeah. I keep reading these articles, right? It's capable of it's capable of writing stories. Sure. Writing songs. Yeah. But can there possibly be any soul to that? You know, well, that's that is a
1: Philosophical question as the AI continues to sort of uh, not just advance, but like self learn at yeah. an accelerated pace. At some point, do we cross the Rubicon into, uh, you know, inevitable consciousness, right? And, yeah. and yeah. sentience on some level, yeah. even if it's different from our yeah. version of it. It's going like, to be fascinating. Yeah, stuff. It's like, but, you know, the broader point being like the idea that. Like if you think about quantum physics or the idea that like you know time is a is a is a mental construct, like are we living you know multiple uh, yeah, existences yeah, yeah. simultaneously or yeah. you know can we explore the Hindu tradition of past lives and all of that? Like whether there's veracity to that or not, like I do think that there is just so much more happening, and we're so arrogant to believe that we have a grip on this. And I think it's just. Better to be in a place of humility and to, you know, acknowledge that kind of mystery. Yeah. And it makes life more interesting yeah. anyway. You yeah. know? It's more yeah. fun. And, you know, it's always interesting when, you know, the minds that we know what we're doing. <laughs> and then like two years later you realize like they didn't know what they were doing at all, right? Like yeah. over, you know, enough time we realize that so much of our, you know, self-avowed intelligence yeah. has been proven to be incorrect.
0: Yeah. So or like the premise of Blade Runner twenty forty nine or whatever it mm-hmm. was, right, was that they uh, the, a replicant gave birth to a to a child, right? That's right. not supposed to happen. So that means these replicants that are manufactured human beings have us could have a soul, mm-hmm. and that's and and that was the whole case of the movie. Yes, right. they do have a soul. Yeah, you know. And uh, and then we wonder, are we replicants? Is what? <laughs> yeah. But it's great.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, how do you? I mean, when you when you acknowledge the muse and these energies that have shown up for you time and time again, that it becomes impossible to rebut the notion that they're real and how they operate in your life. You start to think about you know universal truths, right? Like universal unspoken truths. Like, is there? Is there, like, this is a truth, right? If you show up for the work, the muse is yeah. going to uh-huh. appear for yeah. you, right? Like, I'm thinking about this because I had Peter Singer here yesterday, who's uh-huh. a moral philosopher, kind of a legendary guy. You get some such um, amazing people. Here. I mean, the he was energy in here. He was, it was really cool to talk to him. And, you know, this is a guy who spent his whole life thinking about these very questions in the construct of, of, ethics and morality, like, and I said to him, is there a universal, like, does a universal sense of morality exist independent of the human condition? And this is a guy who who, he said yes, but he's also an atheist, which is Uh. confusing to me. Like, how can you you believe in that if you don't have a sense of some kind of spiritual truth that extends beyond our ability to to comprehend? I don't know if I asked him that directly. <laughs> I don't it's all like a, a soup in my mind. Uh. But yeah, like so when you think about these energies that you're tapping into and and your relationship with them is so real. It is real, right? Yeah.
0: So yeah, the next question is what does it all mean, right? If yeah. if, if you know, not just me but tens of millions of people out there are all such sort of tapping into energies and coming up with stuff. Does that mean that there's a great consciousness mm-hmm. god whatever who is moving humanity in some direction and we little drops of water are contributing to that ocean in one way or another are we co-creating i never knew exactly yeah. what that meant but is that part of this deal and then you think to yourself well what about the guy who invented national socialism you know or you know the evil stuff that's mm. in the world right that's coming from some, some source. Beyond. What? I, I yeah. don't know. It boggles the mind. I don't know the answer. Yeah. To I
1: it. mean, it, it all goes back to this same question that you posited, which is like, where do ideas come from? Like, where do they come from, right? The last time that we sat down and, and spoke. Why are this, they coming? This book, Government Cheese, didn't yeah. exist. You probably were already writing it on some level. I, was. And I know. <laughs> I read in your blog, you're like, you know, a year into it, and you're like, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. I should never be writing this. Like, all the same stuff that an amateur would think. But, here we are and it's done. And this is something that, that came through you, right? And now is a thing in the world. Where do ideas come from? Yeah. Do they emanate do from they some you know, super intelligence or you know, some Godhead that disperses a collective consciousness? Because I do think there is something about like on that idea of listening to your internal voice, like doing enough inside work where you can kind of make sure it's clear skies inside of you and whatever you're hearing about yourself is coming through unadulterated by whatever past traumas or experiences you've had. So, you have a clear signal. And I think when you're tuned into that clear signal, there's something about your kind of antenna (laughs) being attuned to the greater Uh consciousness, like that consciousness saying, yes, this is your role, you're supposed to be doing this. And when you fulfill that role, whether it's like your friend, right? Who is this person who does so many Uh things for other people? She is in her dharma of yeah. fulfilling that role, and we all have some version of that role. And what does the world look like when everybody is, you know, attuned with perfect fidelity to that signal?
0: Yeah. And the other weird thing about this, Rich, is that I don't think there's ever been a time in history where this concept had any wide bearing. Right? If you think about the middle ages, right? People were just trying to dig a turnip out of the ground, you know? or, or the Roman empire, Alexander the Great, it was all about conquest and stuff like that. Right? There never was a time until now, I think when there have been people that have enough leisure time mm-hmm. and enough resource that they can indulge this kind of top of the Maslow right. pyramid. Yeah, this thinking, is the very know? peak of the pyramid for yeah. sure, right? What was I put here for? You never could even yeah. think about that. No, that was indulgence. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And also, I think the world is basically breaking down, in my opinion, because people can't deal with that. Mm. You know, we get, if we want to get into politics, we you know, we, we probably yeah. shouldn't do, I think a lot of the, the dark energy that's out there. Comes from people, en masse, who can feel this that there's something inside them, but can't bring it out or don't know that it's even possible mm. to do, and so that energy goes into a dark direction, mm. and you know the web feeds that you know because dark-minded people can get together. Da, da, da. Anyway, I'm getting off on another. Yeah, tangent, no, I
1: but. mean, I I think I think there's truth to that. Listen, you know, not everybody has the ability to indulge the very peak of maslow's you know yeah. pyramid right yeah. um so it is it is a privilege to be able to even entertain yeah. that we can acknowledge yeah. that and i think there's a lot of people who are suffering who are just trying to make ends meet day to day perhaps they do have some impulse inside of them but because of the circumstances of their life it doesn't feel plausible for them to pay attention to that and i think it then festers and gets more deeply repressed and that creates a dissonance between the aspirant self and you know the day to day existence of the, the self in the real world. And that has to, you know, over time kind of erode the soul, right? And it's not surprising that somebody would would, you know, become depressed or resort to some kind of darkness. Yeah.
0: I mean you've read Eric Hoffer's the true believer in his stuff. I don't uh, know if I have uh, actually. Do you know who Eric Hoffer no, is? No, who's that? Oh, this is great. I'll really turn it on to somebody yeah. to will blow your mind. Eric Hoffer was a philosopher, an American philosopher, but he was a longshoreman. And he was this, He, I, I think he was German and Eric Severide back from the day, the newsman back in the day, a contemporary of Walter uh-huh. Cronkite did it like a, like Bill Moyers remember did that thing with um, Joseph Campbell right. about the power yeah, yeah, Eric yeah, of Eric Severide did a series with Eric Hoffer, where, you know, it was multi, you know, one-on-one interviews and Eric Hoffer wrote a series of small books and one of them was called The True Believer, that was his main thing. And his premise was that mass movements like communism, um, Nazism and so on and so forth, get their recruits from people in the exact state of mind Mm. that you're talking about now. And of course we can all relate to that. We've all Mm -hmm. been in places like that where you know, there's something trying to be born inside them. They don't know what it is. That the energy turns dark and they're looking to some furor, right? Right. That will, you know, Jim Jones and Jonestown or whatever the hell that thing sure. was, you know? That, 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 uh, that's where this kind of true believer thing comes from. The recruits that will be you know, doing this, mm-hmm. come, it comes from, from that. Yeah, and really repressed rage, stuff. frustration,
1: um, and, and then you know, finding an outlet in a scapegoat. We can, I mean, this is, yeah. this is how national, you know, the rise of nationalism and all, it's their fault. They're the and reason right, why I'm unhappy right. or I don't have the thing yeah. that, that, that I need and a strong leader to kind of affirm that sensibility. Yeah.
0: But where this yeah. is all coming from, getting back to the concept of resistance, if you'll forgive me for throwing that yeah, back no, in there, is, is that, uh, that the individual soul being attacked by its own tendency to, to, to uh, sabotage itself and to prevent itself from, from living out its mm. destiny and being unaware of this, nobody has ever brought this up or taught them or anything like that, t- inevitably turns down a darker path and that's where the, these movements come from. I know I'm super right. oversimplifying it, but we're in this place now, uh, the world is, where freedom is possible. And the top of that Maslow pyramid is possible for lots of people. And it's co- And this is the dark side of that. If you ask me, right? Because if it's possible and you're not experiencing,
1: it, yeah. that, that has to be extra painful. Yes. If you're in a, if you're in a society or a situation
0: where it's not possible, perhaps you could find peace yes. with your
1: circumstances. Yes,
0: it's like um, de Tocqueville, you know, talking about uh, democracy in America. Uh-huh. When there's a society that's theoretically, at least, of equals and theoretically free so that everybody can be whatever they w- want to be. If somebody else is living that out and you are not, that's a hell of a reproach. Right, right. Even if it's unconscious, you don't know that. I mean, I think this whole, I know we're getting into politics no, here a little bit. Is, it's it's okay, kind of go. like the know nothing party, you know, and the concept of, of uh, people saying, uh, he's no better than me, that son of a bitch. You know, who's he to tell me that I should get shots mm-hmm. or that I should vaccinate, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That that kind of concept of uh, if he can you know live out his life or dream and i 'm not then something then that 's something it 's very hard to live with,, yeah. and you, something has to give somewhere in there. Anyway, right. I so should the, stop with yeah, it. I'm no, on no, a Yeah, no. I
1: mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. So that's how, you know, that's how resistance operates, you know, with how it dances with In the, the dark forces. the political, yeah, yeah. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and can, you know, lead people down a path that, you know, <laughs> yeah. be better better less blazed, I guess, yeah. right? Um but if somebody is like let's say somebody is feeling stuck and they are in a kind of a, you know, quote unquote dead end situation. And they're harboring some aspiration of their, for their life being different or better. And they can't see the path forward. And they pick up you know, the war of art, like what is the, you know, the aspiration that you have for that person? I mean, I think that there is, regardless of your circumstance, there still exists the ability to change in a positive way, even if incrementally.
0: Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, I'm proof of that. Yeah. But, um, and I dare say that if we, if you could bring in, you know, three or four people and, ha- and sit them down here who were in that sort of state of, you know, seeking something but not being able to put their finger on it, and we said to them, okay, answer in 1.2 seconds, what is your dream that you're not doing? They'd know it. Uh-huh. You know, they might be ashamed to say it. Or embarrassed to say it, but they'd know it, you know. And uh, so then it's a question of, well, what are you going to do about that? You know, Mm. is there any? What's the first step to to going there? Or what are you willing to risk
1: or sacrifice? Yeah. And not everybody's willing to kind of implode their life in the pursuit of whatever that aspiration is, and that's okay, also. True. Right.
0: And of course, you know, you don't have to blow up your life to do it. You know, you can do it in one hour a day. Right.
1: How did you not end up, you know, pursuing kind of a, a Robert McKee, you know, kind of I'm gonna do seminars and teach people the war of art, you know, career path. That I'm sure that be, must have, you know, you must have thought of that at some, your friends with Robert, you were here when he, you know, you brought him here yeah. to do the podcast. Um, it's interesting, because you guys kind of speak to the same things, but
0: you're also really different guys. Well, you know, uh, I've thought about, I've, you know, from time to time, people have said to me, you know, you could, you're leaving a lot of money on the table, mm-hmm. but I, I, would have to kill myself if I did that, you know. So
1: I just, you knew
0: yourself well enough. just to know not that for that's me. That's not for you. Not for me. Yeah.
1: Not at all. Do you write, or I just want to write? I want to talk about some of the Hollywood stuff because uh. the stories, like <laughs> in the book, are insane. <laughs> uh, but do you look back on, you know, either the Hollywood phase or, or even, you know, all these, all these different jobs that you had? I mean, there is a. You must have sort of a romantic relationship with that period of time, even if
0: in the midst of it it was confusing for you. That's true. That's that's yeah. very astute. It's like in the midst of it, it was hell on earth, you know. But when I look back on it now mm-hmm. that I'm sort of out of it, I think it was probably all of it was probably the best sort of stuff that could have happened to me, and that uh, to knock the snot out of my nose yeah. and, and to to put my feet on the ground. And to, to give me some some role models that I have you know that I could call on, you know anytime I needed to. That's who I want to be. You know that's mm-hmm. how the way. How would so and so treat this situation? So yeah, I do sort of romanticize, and I really feel like if I hadn't had that period of my life, I don't know where I'd be now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that was absolutely essential. Way better than four years at you know whatever institute,
1: right? Some some writing academy yeah. or wherever where you just were yeah. where
0: all of it was explained
1: to you. Yeah, but do you look back and think, well, I could have saved eight years here and there like I could have snipped around the corners a little bit or are you able to really value and appreciate all the, you know, all
0: the color and nuance of those experiences? I value every minute of it. I really don't think I could have accelerated it at any, wasn't Uh like there was any hack that I could have done or anything I could have leapfrogged, you know, like the Hollywood period, you know, I, I learned a lot, you know, In the sort of the school of hard knocks, you learn this, you learn Mm -hmm. this, you learn this, you learn. And if you didn't learn them, you wouldn't have them. Yeah. Well,
1: the fork in the road there is. You know, I could see an an alternate reality where you did stay there, or you worked it out with your agent or whatever, or you found a way to make peace with writing screenplays because you were having success. And by all indications, had you hung in in that world, you know, who knows what would have happened? But I have no doubt that you would have become a prominent, you know well-produced screenplay writer you know, in this town. You, you end up making this other decision that you explain you know, vi- liberally in the, in the book, but do you ever think like, I wonder what would have happened if I just no, kept doing I don't. that? You don't, right?
0: Because again, it's sort of, you know, and I'm just thinking of this right now, mm-hmm. just as we're talking. What happened was the idea for the legend of Bag of Vance came to me as a book, not as a, not as a screenplay. So, and it just came here, just like talking about the muse there it was, the whole thing, you know? And, and I knew, or I, I, I wasn't, no, I didn't really understand this at the moment, but the fact that it was a book, inevitably my agent was gonna fire me mm-hmm. because he'd worked too hard, you know, he can't, yeah. he can't come off and do that, right? So again, it was sort of other forces, you know, mysterious forces that intervened, like I had no choice. I mean this this idea came I was just seized by it it, it seemed to me completely uncommercial I had no thought like oh this, I'm going to this is great you know right. I thought this is the dumbest idea I've ever had who's going to want you know but I just had to do it so I didn't really have have a choice and I'm glad you know I'm glad I I got out of that world Right Well, it is interesting that the
1: thing that everybody told you not to do that was the least commercial thing you could possibly do and was effectively career suicide in Hollywood was the one thing that kind of worked and gave you this New life, and not only that, it became that a had, movie. Yeah, it becomes this movie, right? And there's <laughs> not like, a good movie, issues but it with the movie, a movie, but like Matt Damon was in the movie. You yeah, know, like yeah. <laughs> um, that's so kind of ironic, and and the compunction that you had, like the clarity of like I don't care, this is right. I'm doing this. I'm willing to have my agent fire me, and all these repercussions are of no matter because I am you know i am in communion with the muse and this is this is this is what has to be like yeah and that is that's earned right like that's earned over the many years of being in the process and understanding you know what made you tick and what was important to you and what your values were yeah like you can't that doesn't come in you know some seminar or you
0: know no. some writing program that's through life and the other thing rich was that the Legend of Bagger Vance the book at least was qualitatively different than anything I had done before. And even though I had done some good things, screenplays mm-hmm. that never got produced, you know, but where, but you know, if you read them you'd say, "Oh, these yeah. are good," you know. But that book was qualitatively different and and I can't even really describe it other than to say it was really coming from me. You know, it wasn't me doing a genre you know, let's do a Western, let's do a detective mm-hmm. story. It was coming straight for me. And everything since then has been straight for me too. Right. So something changed, some tumbler clicked over there. And I can only say it happened on another dimension of reality. And then the word, you know, the telegram came down to me. It had nothing to do with any decision I made or anything I did. Right. Which then goes back to the original question, where do ideas come from? Yeah.
1: I mean, you did, you were a caddy when you were a kid. And so you have this yeah. experience in the world of golf, but the merging of golf and the Bhagavad Gita, and then like, you know, gates of fire, like these other books that you've written, like the original notion for them, the inception point, like
0: that's where the mystery resides, yeah. right? Cause you yeah. don't, you can't locate that. Yeah. and The other side of the mystery is at least is that, uh, for my career, for what I've, the things I've done, each book is a surprise to me, you know? Mm. It's like, you know, the assignment comes down, I get the envelope from the muse, and I open up and go "That," (laughs) you know? (laughs) Uh, And how does that, like, when you wake up in the morning and, or after,
1: you know, like, it just, it just arrives? Like, what is the experience of that for you? Like, how do
0: you know? um, Well, let's say the, the idea for Gates of Fire, the book about, the Battle mm-hmm. of Thermopylae, which was the second book after Baggerman's. So I write this one book, that's this crazy sort of golf story. How do you follow that? Am I gonna write mm-hmm. another, you know? and so, But yet once you have one book, you know, they want you to do another one. So I was just, you know, casting about for what to do. And I happened to be reading Herodotus, mm-hmm. you know, and I got to that part where they're talking about the Spartans at Thermopylae. And uh, there was a section in there and it just was like, uh, a thunderbolt type of thing where I thought, this is it. And I thought, you know, I can write this. There's a story here and I can write it. And and here's here's the sort of handle. But that was nothing I had ever prepared for. It wasn't like Mm. I was a classical scholar. It Wasn't like I I ever thought of doing anything historical. I never thought of that. But once it was sort of there on the table, I thought this, I've gotta do it. This Mm -hmm. is the thing. Again, it's a mystery. Why? So, but I do believe there must be some sort of law to that, that when something real lands on your plate, it's a surprise. Otherwise, there's something wrong, I mm-hmm. think, you know? Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to hear what Bruce Springsteen or Bob Dylan would say about it, because so, so much of their stuff seems like part of a, a of an overall theme, you know? Yeah. That, but I, I would bet they would, I would bet, Bruce Springsteen would say, you know, Tom Jode was completely different from whatever came before that. You know, even though it might look like it's not.
1: Right, and and of course they would all say that in their peak creative moments, that there is an effortlessness to it, that it's flowing through them, that you know the the body and the mind acts as a channel, right, and your job is to just, you know, let it let it flow out and the source of which you know is that's what resides in the mystical unknown yeah. right and and when this thing lands on your on your plate boom here it is it's your job to run with that but if you don't what are you saying to the what are you saying to the universe what are you saying yeah. to the muse right yeah. and then what's the cost to
0: pay. what's the cost of that yeah yeah i think you get sick you know something yeah. happens to you something bad right. happens because there's
1: you. a there's a there's a dissonance like yeah. you're not living in integrity with yeah. that that like yeah you know, and it's not like you. for me
0: at least it's not like it just flows immediately it's still an incredible mm-hmm. grind and and an incredible hell that you have to go through to do it but but there is that sense of uh, of, of blessedness in there somewhere that doesn't mm-hmm. go away have you read uh Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. I have it, but I and I know what it's about. Yeah. I have not read it. Yeah, I don't. But I I've, re- I've listened we to we all her about other this. stuff, and I'm in complete oh, should, agreement. Yeah, with her. you should. Big Magic is like
1: you know a compendium to the War of Art. I mean, her notion is, I mean, it's back to that idea of the collective knowing or the collective yeah. consciousness, and you know when that impulse to express something exists, like your that idea lives up here, right? And and you pull it down. And you either express it, but if you don't, if you pass, you're like, I'm not gonna do that. Someone else is gonna pull it down. Like it's out there, which is why, you know, there's two volcano movies that come out at the same time uh-huh. where these things tend to be uh-huh. like, there's trends, you know, like, oh, why is, you know, these these two artists who live on the other side of the planet and don't know each other, both created something that, yeah. you know, kind of they, they're similar in certain ways. like. The idea that there are there are ideas out there, objectively. Yeah.
0: And back to the antenna,
1: like are yeah. you are you receiving that signal? I'm Is that sure signal I agree for you? With
0: that it like was that great <laughs> Elizabeth Gilbert story. I forget the other female writer that, that they became friends and they kissed, and some oh, right. idea yeah, yeah. got passed. Like from Elizabeth Gilbert had sort of uh, uh, started a book uh-huh. and then kind of let it left it on the shelf because she had other things. And uh, when she went back to it, it was stale, and it wouldn't happen. Mm. And then after this kiss, I forget the other writer's name, also yeah. famous, really wonderful I, female I, I, this writer. Sounds familiar. Yeah. She <laughs> wrote the book, and if you want a Pulitzer Prize or something, right? So that's. But uh, in <laughs> you my say opinion, theft, but I don't like, know if I agree with that. Maybe yeah, she.
1: This is you know, I don't know. I think you, I don't that think it's inconsistent with just your... to
0: One person alone. <laughs> that's my. Well, um, the expression of the idea is going to be
1: different, contingent on the person. <laughs> but perhaps the core idea itself, uh, you know. I mean, how that idea is expressed is obviously going to be different from person to person. Yeah. So I don't know. It's all a mystery. Yeah. I mean, how are you? You know, what is the what is the pro for somebody? I don't want to assume that anybody who's listening or watching this listened to our first conversation. So maybe, you know, let's explain (laughs) at at hour one thirteen. Like, what is the war of art? Like, what are you trying to tell people? And how can somebody who's new to these ideas? start to think about, you know, uh, investing in their own creative expression.
0: Um, Are you asking me to like talk about the war of art? Well, just in general, in in broad strokes. So,
1: you know, we're kind of grounded in the the, the vernacular of what we're talking
0: about. The concept of uh, an earlier book of mine called the war of art is that there is this negative force out there that I call resistance with a capital R. And it equates to a voice in our head that tells us, You are no good, you can't do this. Who are you to think of whatever project that you have Mm -hmm. in your mind and also to distract you. Let's go to the beach, let's have another drink, let's have an affair. And the concept is that uh, if you decide you want to be in the creative arts, it's a war and you're gonna have to fight this dragon every morning that you wake up, this dragon of self-sabotage and uh, self-doubt and all that kind of thing. And that to do that, you have to find some kind of a mindset, whatever it is, uh, you know, a warrior mindset, the mindset mm-hmm. of a mother that's gonna protect, you know, the life growing within her, whatever it is, that to overcome that thing called resistance, that it is a war, and you have to fight it every day. Mm-hmm. And the war never abates. Never abates, Right. never gets any less. Like the idea that you, you
1: mm-hmm. had to go to war with it for this, for this book, yeah. reading that blog post and all the negative self-talk you know, that you're telling yourself about this book after all the successes in the many, many books that you've written. Like, I don't know whether to feel kinship
0: with you <laughs> or feel depressed about that. But it does seem to be a law, Rich, that we've talked about this before, that um, when you're onto something that's real, that you really should be doing, self-doubt is enormous. You know, it's never... uh, it's never like, oh, I can't wait to do this. This is so great. It's gonna be mm-hmm. so wonderful. It's always like, oh God, why did I come up with this terrible idea? This, uh, you know, my whatever reputation I have is gonna be in the toilet when I'm through <laughs> with this one, you know, whatever. So that, that, uh, that is a thing that must be overcome, that self doubt and it never goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a lot of self doubt on, you know, on government cheese, which is like stories from my life, right, I'm yeah. thinking to myself as I'm writing it, What do you, (laughs) everybody wants to read your stupid stories, right? Everybody's got a million stories. You know, you want to tell a story about when you're picking apples and washing, who cares about it? You know, and so I, you know, I think think to myself, you're an idiot for doing this. Everybody's going to hate it or they won't even care at all. But I I know from experience that that self-doubt is a good sign. Mm-hmm. That it's you know the bigger the resistance the bigger the dream, so as we talked about before too. Right. So uh, so that kept me going you know. But I know that that happens in every project and then it'll be in the future. I'll always have to deal with that. And I think everybody has to deal with it.
1: Right. And and it just morphs and changes. Right. So when Gets you're more when you're
0: unsuccessful,
1: <laughs> it's you know who do you think you are. Yeah. When you become successful, it's like you're going to ruin everything you worked hard to <laughs> yeah. create, or they're going to find out you're an imposter. Right, exactly, all of that, yeah. like it just—it just pivots, right? And like, wh- why is that? Why does that exist? Like, what? Why is it that that you know we have to go to war with this thing? Like, why can't we just be in our expressed self? I'm sure yeah. there are people who have very little resistance.
0: I wish I was one of those yeah, people, I'm not. You know? yeah, there are people who have very little yeah. resistance. I can't. So when I've talked to people like that, I go, I, I'm looking at them, you, didn't you tell me the truth? There's no way <laughs> it's that easy for you. you know, but like some people do. For some people, yeah. right? And I
1: think those people, when they become successful, that's what we all look to and say, well, you know, obviously
0: like this world is reserved for people like that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But did you see the uh, Howard Stern, Bruce Springsteen
1: no. Thing oh, wow. it's really
0: great, and the just really recent, I don't know, on HBO mm. or something like that. But even Bruce Springsteen had to struggle like hell, you know, these albums right. didn't just flow, you know, they were they do, you know, months and months trying to get something right, you know, and, and before they finally got it together, you know. So that was very encouraging, to yeah. Me that's it, it's, it wasn't it's good easy to, for him either, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's good to see all of those things. Um, when you at the very I listened to that, so. I listened to Government Cheese on audiobook. I had to drive to Fresno and back in the uh, same day for uh, for a memorial. My college football uh, coach passed away, um, so I had eight hours in the car. So I listened to it literally over the course of a uh, day. And and at the very end, as you conclude the book, when the book's kind of done, then you do a little kind of riff. Like it's not doesn't feel written or scripted, and you're just like, I hope you guys liked it and got like something out of this, I and I hope it was like. But then you you end it like it, I I. I was tearing up, like I just felt very heartfelt. Huh. And you said, you know, I hope this is instructive and helpful on your journey, you know. And you end the book with this word "journey," and I immediately thought, like, what would Robert McKee think about that? Because he uh-huh. he has such a problem with this idea of life being a journey. Uh-huh. But you, you, and I would agree with you. Like, I think life is a journey, and I think that we're all on some. You know, are you? You can you can look at your life and and. And lay on top of it that kind of hero's journey architecture of it. And on some level, we're all living a version of that. I think so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and that is a journey. So like, yeah. Have you had debates with Robert about
0: this? Like No, I was kind of surprised when he said that. You yeah? Know? Really? Because I thought that his I would have said his teachings are really all about it. Sure. There, you know. So yeah, no, I haven't had it. What today. is that about
1: then? You think? I don't know. He really bristles at that. Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't know. Mm. He's also a believer. I have a, a disagreement with him about talent. You know, where he says like talent is everything. You know, uh-huh. and I say talent is bullshit. You know, so I don't know. And he thinks well, I'm think, crazy and I think he's overstating. Yeah,
1: no, it's great. Like I, I think like a podcast between the two of you guys would be like
0: fascinating, uh-huh. right? Just on like- but Which the, one of us would lead it? I don't well, know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I just
1: think there's something, yeah. Like his thing is I do these seminars and all these Yahoo show up and like my job is to weed them out and disabuse them yeah, <laughs> of like any kind of, you know, career glory that they're that they're fantasizing about because it's hard, right? And you can't, if you're gonna do it, you gotta be fully committed. And I I think you would agree on the fully committed part, yeah. But I think where you you differ is you have kind of a sweeter sensibility <laughs> uh, and 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 a hopefulness and a and an optimism that you know we all have something here to express and we should be it's not indulgent to you know go on that journey of self exploration and maybe it doesn't land you in Hollywood writing screenplays that you sell, but. That's beside the point because it's a worthy that is a worthy, you know, investment of your yeah. time for yeah.
0: yourself. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. So yeah. So I have more I have compassion for the struggling yeah, person he doesn't, because that was me forever.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Don't waste my time. Like if you had if you had shown up in Robert's seminar.
0: You Which know, I did like you like were, multiple
1: oh, times. Oh you did? Oh yeah. And yeah. he didn't he
0: didn't like sort of Uh, make you feel so terrible about yourself that you were gonna quit and No, because he was giving out such great information and he was so passionate about, you know, like Paul Rink, my other mentor, Mm -hmm. you know, the thing about Robert McKee that's so powerful is that he really believes in writing, you know, and, you know, know, a lot of people might today might say, who gives a shit, you know, if somebody wrote a book, some novel, we're never gonna read it, right? But he believes, you know, you've got a gift, you got to give it to the world, and you got to give it to it absolutely the best you can possibly do, and not blow it off in mm-hmm. any way. And that's very inspiring. He usually yeah. he concludes his, you know, seminars with that kind of thought. You know, like go forth, mm-hmm. you sons of bitches, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, do something good.
1: Were you did you go to those seminars when you were in Hollywood writing yeah, screenplays? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh.
0: yeah. So it <laughs> cost a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they're still pretty cheap at like a really? thousand bucks. Really? That's not so bad. Well, he's right? done For now though. Four he's days, retired, yeah, right? Too bad. Yeah. But so I think this podcast is gonna videos. go up right
1: around the same time as uh because we recorded that one with with Robert a while back, but yeah. I think these are gonna go up kind of around each other. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, which will be interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting. Um, but during this period of time in which you're, you're a screenwriter, like you have some success, you hook up with this guy, you call him Stanley. But what I got out of reading that part of the book is, you also learned a lot about structure and form and the idea of like kind of uh, mixing different influences and genres. He's like, we're, it's gonna be this movie meets this movie. And we're gonna blend these things to, you know together. And we're gonna create something unique out of that. And just like the banging out of scripts and like kind of um, process of, of being a writer, like made you a stronger writer. And perhaps the idea of Bagger Vance being like the Bhagavad Gita and golf coming together would not have occurred without you know, the kind of
0: apprenticeship with this guy who. Yeah, I feel like it was a great apprenticeship where I really learned so much. And uh, yeah, I, I have nothing but gratitude for, mm. that, for that period. Right. Am I wrong to think or to say
1: that there's a part of me that wishes, uh, that, that wants to see you kind of flex your muscle in the screenplay world? Like you, because you, cause I feel like you, you went off and then wrote Bagger Vance and opted out of that world altogether, right where, when you were on the precipice of like showing the world what you actually were truly capable of in that, in that world. But
0: you're Uh, you're good, you don't wanna do that. No, uh, yeah, I don't wanna do that. I mean, in reality, you well know Rich, the Mm. only way to really do that is to become a director, to be a writer, director and do it. And that was just beyond what I wanted to even think about. Mm -hmm. Otherwise the writer is always gonna be fired and replaced and you know, it's just in the nature of the movie business. Mm -hmm.
1: What is it that you you want people to, to get out of government cheese? I mean, I think I know, but like you tell me what you um,
0: think. I, I, I hope that somebody that's feels lost and struggling. And like, when is this tunnel? You know, when do I get out of this tunnel? That uh, they'll read government cheese and say, Pressfield's story is exactly like mine. You know, the, maybe the, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's just, it's the hero's journey. It's the process and, you know, be patient. Yeah. You know, don't lose heart. Um, so I hope it's an inspiration t- to, uh, to people a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, think it, I think it certainly is that. I mean, I think it really, you know, in the tunnel of like how long it, you know, how long you were in the tunnel, it's certainly, you're like, oh my God, like how is this guy <laughs> still driving a truck? Like, <laughs> um, it's inspirational in that there were so many instances in which I feel like a normal person would have just given up you know and the fact that you stayed in it even while that typewriter was hidden for so long it was lurking you know in the back of your mind obviously and you know pulling on your soul huh. and and you know had this yearning that you couldn't shake and you know the fact that it took as long as it took is is a story about it takes what it takes
0: yeah you know yeah what more could I say I don't know, beyond you know, that? Yeah. I it's mean, like like I said, it's like swimming in the ocean. It's like what's mm, the alternative? Yeah. You, you stop and you go to town, <laughs> you know? And and there's no
1: there's no plan B. You're like, yeah. this is I'm in it. You're in it, right? And so if anything, that might be intimidating for people though, like, do you have to be in it in the way that like Steven is in it or was in it or
0: thinks about being in it? But you do, right, yeah. unless you, I mean, hopefully most people <laughs> don't have to pay the dues as much as I did, but, uh, but you do have to learn, right? Mm-hmm. If you were gonna be a brain surgeon or a concert pianist, you would know that you have a certain apprenticeship ahead of you, a certain education you have to have, skills you have to acquire. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of times in the arts, particularly in these days where you know you can do a sex tape and you know you're yeah. famous you think oh there's a hack and I'll do that so but it's not true you have mm-hmm. to you have to learn the game you know
1: yeah well it it is an interesting and kind of disorienting time in that regard because creative product you know con it's con, it's called it, content, content boy right? do i hate that is is <laughs> is essentially ephemeral like it comes and goes yeah and and that applies to books as well. Like, we're, you know, here we get like every, like every new book in the self help kind of whatever, right, like right. it arrives here, right? Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. you get, we get, after getting they like arrive on my 10, 20 too. books a week. <laughs> yeah. And then you never hear, you know, hear from these. Some of them are actually New York Times bestsellers or they can but then a week later, you don't know. You start <laughs> to have like, I've become a little cynical about it. Like, This matter? It's so hard to write a book, and these books come, and like, and I'm somebody who should care about all these books, and even I'm looking at it like, okay, so this guy's got the answer this week, and I should read this book. Um, And there's so many, you know, movies and television shows coming out all the time that you can't stay on top of it. And what is worthy of that? Tug on the soul—that's going to be yeah. so painful. That's going
0: well, you know, to force you, some you to props.
1: grapple with the—you know—with the resistance and all of that.
0: Like this, but I'm going to have to give you props for finding Ultra. That was one. That was a book that stood out and will last. You know, and you know, God bless you for doing it. You know, that came out of your soul. You know, and that came through hard work and everything. But that's that's a real story. That's a, that's mm. a real hero's journey if there ever was one. Well, and I appreciate so, that. You know, I take my hat off to you for
1: that one. Yeah, thanks. But but then you know that that was quickly followed by you know the resistance. You know, basically <laughs> doing push-ups in the dark. <laughs> and now it's like, well, you can't write a book like that again, or you already told your story. What else do you have left to say? Like all of that kind of stuff, right? So I'm doing war with that a little bit uh, at the moment. I think I've, I think I have an idea though. I'm not ready to talk about it publicly, but I'm going to share it with you when we're done here. Okay, great. Yeah,
0: I can, I um, can tell you right now before you say a word, that's the idea. You should do it. Yeah. Before you say, how I can do you just know tell that? by the look on your face. Yeah. How, how can, do you know? Because I can see the resistance radiating uh-huh. off you, but I can also see the dream. I can mm. see it. You don't have to tell me the idea. I know. And i and I'm say this with a thousand percent certainty do it mm. you know and do it with the same you know confidence or i hope you had confidence while you are doing finding ultra but let me ask you this is it completely different from that yes ah okay that's yeah. a great sign that's what yeah. it should be yeah um, i can see it right in your course, eyes yeah, it's amazing like, you know, i'll just tell uh, you what's going on uh, in my what's let's going have a close on in my head your face yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: in my mind i'm like Oh shit! Like this is being recorded now. If I don't do it, <laughs> now I'm gonna really feel bad, and I'm gonna feel like I let Steven down,
0: uh, and I don't want to uh, let Steven down. Then don't let me down. Yeah, but don't let yourself down. No, but this is great, Rich, because it's really great for me to see that you've got that. You know that mm. that flame there, that little that little fetus that's kind of growing. You know, you got a little toenail now. It's it's you know a, it's a it's yeah it might only
1: be two or three cells right now,
0: <laughs> but, but you no, know, it sounds like it's a little bigger than that to me.
1: But uh. Yeah, actually I I feel excited about this in a way that I haven't felt in a long time. Ah. And I feel like I'm onto something, but the resistance is very strong. And so the only way that I can do battle with that resistance is to really lower the stakes as much as possible, and and like Seth Godin's been helpful with this. Like, uh. so it's really like right now, it's really just about like freeform journaling and not being judgmental about anything uh-huh. to just get to just build a little bit of momentum. So uh-huh. you know, two cells go to four cells or whatever. I think that's um, exactly right. And I think right. momentum is really crucial and important, as we touched on before. Like, I just know when I have momentum, then you're in a self-perpetuating Situation where the flow comes easier, but if yeah. you're stop and start and all of that, yeah, it becomes yeah. impossible. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you I'm trying
0: to respect that. You've anyway. had the experience, you know, both in finding ultra and in athletics, you know, of of showing up every day and rolling the p every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think I know so how to roll the, the
1: p, but I've had a hard, really hard time. Uh, figuring out what p to roll in the writing in the writing <laughs> in the writing game, and I took you know it's been ten years honestly. So and then I can beat my, I beat myself up about
0: that. Uh, ah, yeah, that's resistance too. You sure. just have to sort of dis, dismiss that. I know. Um, and remember, like the the measure of self doubt mm-hmm. is the measure of how great the idea is, right? So the more self doubt you have, the better the idea. Is right. The more is that resistance true, you though? feel, is that always true? It's always true. It's always true. Because
1: it's it's plausible that you have a really bad idea, it, and that yes, self doubt is like, yeah, you really
0: shouldn't. <laughs> looking in your eyes, that that's not one of them. <laughs> yeah. This is not. This is not that. Hmm.
1: All right. Will you be you my know, one accountability for partner? This is worth. To you. Yeah.
0: No, please. Somebody taught me this. That uh, to start with. Uh, when you're writing a thing to, with the first thought, the first sentence is, and the bad version of this is, mm. colon, and then start. Right? Oh, that's, that's a good trick.
1: You I know? like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, just, you know, in other words, it's like Seth lowering the expectations. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be brilliant, just get something down. Yeah. And if I can help you in any way, other than reading, uh, I, w- I will count I, on me as any
1: kind of a res- resource. I appreciate that. You know, Seth said the same thing to me and I feel like, wow, like those are the best mentors anybody could possibly ever dream of, you know, to say, I'm happy to like, you know, give you feedback or it's whatever, honor, like it's incredible. You know? So, yeah. so again, then it's like, well, if I don't do this, then that's a <laughs> massive betrayal of the muse, I think, or you know, or, well, you of, will or of myself. And, you will do it. <laughs> you know, it's a dragon. All the all the excuses. So oh, this is great.
0: Out. I'm very yeah. happy to hear this, Rich. Yeah. You know, that there's a. It's so great to have that mm. thing growing in you. What? Are, what's better than that? I know.
1: But it's also, you know, how hard it's going to be, right? And you're like, it's I'm hard like, to run five islands. Welcome this know? pain <laughs> into my life. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, has your routine remained the same? I know that, like you know, your physical fitness routine is really important. You get up really early in the morning, and you kind of have like this is how you do it. And
0: is that does that has that evolved at all, or it has evolved? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I I wasn't always doing physical stuff first thing in the morning, and, and these days, um, starting this new publishing company that takes mm-hmm. a lot of time, even even though Diana yeah. does all the work. Uh, so I've have to sort of um find a couple of hours a day like today i'm I'm not doing any work you know mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm dedicating yeah. there's other stuff and Christmas you know but uh um, but I, I, uh, I do still absolutely believe you, you gotta keep that momentum going, even if it's only a little bit. So it's harder, to, it's harder for me to find. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a the time in the in Government Cheese where I talk about when I was working on that book and I, just ha- I was in this little house yeah. all by myself and I had nothing, I had no girlfriend, no radio. You had a cat though. I had a cat, but the cat's quiet, you know? But I thought to myself, this is hard enough when I have 24 hours a day What's it going to be like if I get to a place where I have other things going mm-hmm. on? And how am I going to focus? Um, and so I'm sort of—that's way, the way it's been since then. You know, where you do have a life, a little bit mm-hmm. of a life anyway. Um, you've got a lot of a life, but you—you you can find the time, just like yeah. finding time to train. You know, and that's kind of the way it is for me. I sort of have to—I have to make sure I, I get it in each day. You know, because otherwise. No good, you know? Yeah. News so like so it. so it's
1: a consistent metronome of like ten to one or whatever it is. Yeah, something like um, that. exactly. But do you ha do you then like when you're getting close to the finish, do you go down the rabbit hole and disappear or go off to some ca- you know, some cabin or hotel room <laughs> for, you know, six days straight or whatever to like take it across the finish line? Or do I you haven't you're done able that. to maintain
0: some kind of balance? I haven't done that, but yeah. I like that idea. I I've, I've heard friends of, but that do that. people yeah, do like, that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Because again, at the at the end of a project, resistance gets way, 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 way bigger. Mm. So you got to raise your intensity to combat that. So I understand absolutely going to a cabin or something like that. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I just I look at the consistency and the kind of balanced um, equilibrium, like equanimity, with which you do it. And, and I think of Ryan also and the way that he does it. And I don't know, man. My life is like it's <laughs> always like you know, no matter what I try to do to like you know, kind of. Um, flatten the curve, you uh-huh. know, between the highs and the lows. Like I I I'm always like surfing some kind of insane
0: yeah. you know. But I mean when you train, like when you go out to run the trail or whatever it is. So I'm not even it sure. It is exactly consistent, what you're doing. right? You you're on a program or whatever, yeah. And you set a goal. And that time is like a sacred time for you, right? I sure. mean you block everything out, right? And you're not you don't have your iPhone on mm-hmm. or anything like that. So same sort of thing, right?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting conversation around like structure, you create, you have your goal, like, okay, you're you're writing this book, it needs to be done by this date or you're training for this race. And so you establish a program and parameters and like I show up every day and these are the things that I do to move me towards that goal. And those are very practical, real world kind of considerations in order to achieve the thing that you've set out to achieve. How do you balance that against the mystical dancing with the muse and not being attached to the outcome? And yes, I have a goal, but I have to be, I have to be in surrender also. Like I have to be open uh, and not rigid in how I'm thinking about all of this. Like that, there is a tension there, right? That I think is delicate and I'm interested
0: in how that operates for you. Uh, there is a tension, but it does work amazingly enough that you can go into that office, close the door, start to work and very soon, you know, good stuff will happen. It might not be like thunderbolts of Mm. inspiration, but you'll be, you'll get into, I mean, you must've felt this with Finding Ultra because it was so good, you know, when you're describing, you know, the race or you're swimming and you're like ready to, you know, blow your brains out because it's so hard, you know, can I keep, you know, they're, you were in a flow of some sort, right? You're describing your, that mm. something that happened, and so it, it, the two things really work absolutely together—the sort of structured aspect of it and the kind of otherworldly mm-hmm. stuff. Um, they, they absolutely right. Do. They have to. Well, they have to be in balance with each other, right?
1: Because any too much of any of either of those will tip it off its. Yeah, ballast, I think so.
0: Right. But I would imagine I'm not a meditator, but I would imagine that uh when you sit to meditate, it's sort of a structured thing, right? Okay, I'm going in this room, I'm locking a door, but once you're you get to that state that then your your mind is empty or wherever mm-hmm. it is and you are in a kind of another another place, another spiritual, mental, whatever place. And then when the bell rings, you yeah. go out and make dinner.
1: Yeah. How come you don't meditate?
0: I, I consider I like... my writing as meditation. Yeah, me, you know.
1: I think meditation is qualitatively different from that. Uh, I do, I think you would get a lot out of uh, a real meditation practice.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll do that
1: someday. (laughs) (laughs) You're starting to get sheepish. Um, I think you would, no, I think you would get, I think you would get a lot out of it. I think it just having awareness of how your consciousness operates, I think could also act as possibly expanding the portal to the, to the unconscious mind, or to the to the muse, right? Could be. I don't know. <laughs> you're not going to commit to that. Though, <laughs> <are>. <laughs> um, what's next? What are you working on now? Uh, or do you not
0: talk about it? Are you like yeah, Seth? Is like about don't it. don't talk. Yeah, yeah, don't talk about but it. I am working on another thing.
1: And what is what is? Talk me through the thinking process around not sharing what you're working like the like the
0: sacredness of of protecting it in that way. It's just bad luck to talk about it somehow. I mean, maybe I, you know, Hemingway used to talk about that, right? Mm. That the worst thing you can do is to start telling other people what you're working on. Like it sort of lets the air out of the balloon. And I don't know, I just, I'm superstitious now. Yeah. I just feel like- it's Maybe bad I'm not gonna tell you common. what I'm working on now. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that chinks it? Yeah. Okay, now i It'll certainly, I mean, it might not derail it, mm. but it's certainly not gonna do any good. Mm. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I got to think about that.
1: Not. I uh, I'm interested in how ambition plays into all of this. I mean, obviously, you know, you you had to have ambition, perhaps an outsized ambition to kind of weather the many years of setbacks and kind of not succeeding, you know, on the level that you that, that you felt like you were capable of. How does that like do you feel satisfied with your career like when you write books you're just on to the next one obviously you want them to do well but like where does the ambition piece come in does it derail you are you at peace with it like do you care about how the world receives your work or is it really uh, the do. work for the
0: work itself i do but uh, but i've almost given up on it rich you know because it's like you know you never know what work what Mm-hmm. particular book is gonna get a positive response or what's gonna get in it, you know. Um, and uh, I really have tried to stop where, I mean, you can't help but hope for something good to happen. Yeah. But, you know, like in Hollywood, you know, you work on a script, and you work, nothing happens, right? You can't, so, yeah. you know, you're so used to uh, things going out there and sinking without a trace that it's just, uh, if I can just, uh, Have enough juice left to do the next one, Mm -hmm. and just keep going on. And I feel like that's really all I'm trying to do is just keep. And anything beyond that is just a bonus. Yeah, it's a bonus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is that part of the the impetus in in creating this publishing company? No, that's really more about um, my books that are about writing, The War of Art, and those other ones can be self published. You know, they don't need a publisher. And Mm -hmm. in fact, I can't even find a a publisher. They don't even want them. You know. Mm. So um I do want to have a uh, uh a platform that I can I don't have to worry about selling it to Harper Collins or right. something like that. So m- other books fiction or anything like that then you do have to find a real publisher so that's a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the purpose of it is just for releasing your own books or yeah, are you going to so publish that, other people's yeah. books as well? Oh no, just my own. Just you your know? own books. And Diana's yeah. You know
1: and how many how many have you published under your own imprint then
0: well, if you we go back to the war of art, you know when uh I had a little publishing company called Black Irish with my partner Sean mm-hmm. Coyne, right and i think I think there was like nine books or something like mm-hmm. that that we did there, and then uh two on this new one so far, government cheese being the second one, yeah yeah, it's interesting in this age of uh Removing
1: the gatekeepers, you know, it's it's empowering for you to own your own content and control it. And when you know the the majority of people buy their books on Amazon, uh, why should you pay a publishing house an outsized you know percentage of the profits on that?
0: In- but the other thing, Rich, is that in, in all honesty, for a lot of these stuff, a uh, book's post-war of art, I can't find a publisher. Really, you know. I mean, how many? But War of Art still sells like crazy, right? Like yeah, people would like they would like to buy that. Right, yeah, but others no. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, this must be true for other writers. I think a lot of times people think, oh, you've had a. A book or this or that, so you can sell anything. Not true. You right, know? right, right, it's not right. Not true at all. You can't even get an agent, you know? I mean, it's like, you know. That's crazy to yeah. me. That's crazy to me.
1: I mean, it is, I think, you know, publishing is going the way of the movie studios, like to get, to get like the, you know, kind of the advance and all of that. You have to thread a very fine needle and it has to be a book that, you know, hits all these certain types of marks, which makes, you know, makes more sense for people to be self publishing. You know? Yeah, and I think um, it's interesting. You look at like David Goggins. I think he's the most successful self-published book of all time. Like,
0: is that right, right up there? I, with I Michelle that.
1: Obama. Like, I don't think he sold like four million copies of his first book or uh-huh. something like that. Um, I mean, I don't think anybody prior to that has ever sold that many copies of a self-published book. Uh-huh. Which I think, you know, all the rules around like the New York Times bestseller list and you know, self-published books being in bookstores and all of that. I feel like you know his success upends or challenges a lot of those rules yeah. and probably opens the door for people like yourself and other people who are writing great books and doing it their way to you know, have a different kind of life.
0: Maybe, I, I mean, still, I still don't understand the economics of mainstream publishing, how they can make money. You know, Unless I think they that, have one book. I think it's like the one book that supports all the other I books. I think that's true, right? Know? One book yeah. sells. Yeah. 10 million, and then they can afford to have 1,500 books that sell nothing. Right. I guess. It would be like the studio that puts
1: out, you know, Avatar or the Marvel movies, also making like 300, you know, movies a year that cost a million dollars or that nobody goes and sees. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But you can just write your books and put (laughs)
0: them out, right? Which has to be cool. But my expectations are so low. That's another part of it. But you know, here's the thing. See, for how little, you know, that <laughs> really. Steven, I,
1: <laughs> listen, all this, like, you know, part of me feels like you need to go to therapy because like if you're still having all this negative self-talk with uh-huh. all the wonderful books that you've put out and all the, you know, people that you've helped and, and you know, creative careers that you've helped spawn, like, I want you to be telling yourself uh, <laughs> good things about your capability yeah. and your skill, right? Uh, but you know- How much is the, resistance I, and I how much the, is like just I, bullshit that I you I could see purge the sales from- sales
0: figures, you know?
1: <laughs> well, I so, mean, yeah. you know, it's listen- It's a tough racket. Let me tell you this, you know, your, the war of art and turning pro were so instrumental in my life that they are, that like your work has, you know, infused my life and my work, like Finding Ultra is is like you're part of that book, right? And you're part of this podcast, like in the collective consciousness idea that we were talking about earlier, like your essence is inextractable from like my career and my creative life and like the things that I've put out into the world. And I'm certainly not alone in that regard. There's lots of people who would, mm-hmm. you know, tell you their version of what I just shared with you, which has to be incredibly, you know, affirming, right? That's true. You, and can, hear really that. and you can hear, you, you can, hear, you can that, hear that, and you can you can you can hear that, and like, yeah, and
0: yeah. so I don't blow that off. That's no, big, that's a big. It's deal. real, and it's yeah. huge,
1: and it's like a huge honor for me not to just have you here, but to like have you in my life. Like that's something I like talk about Likewise. the mystery of the universe, and like <laughs> like the idea that one day, like I would get to meet you, and I would I could. Consider you a friend, like that was just beyond anything I could have huh. ever imagined. And I feel the myself. same way. So, so there you have it. This is this is yeah. <laughs> this is you know resistance. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> and uh, um, you know because we're 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 dancing with the uh, mystical energies over here because yeah. it doesn't make sense on paper. And all the decisions that I made, you know, when I was toiling away doing my version of of you driving a truck, there's no sense when you're in that. It's, it's, there's no sense that that's leading anywhere. Absolutely, right? yes. Other than some kind of deep down thing, like I gotta keep doing this or, you know, yeah. I know that this is, this is somehow in some weird way gonna lead me to
0: where I wanna go Yeah, and you stay in it. Yeah, I just did a blog post like today or something or a couple of days ago that says something like, the hero's journey is enacted in a benighted state. And I think that's absolutely true. And somehow it's absolutely essential. It's like, if you weren't in the United States, you wouldn't be on the hero's Mm -hmm. journey. It's somehow the, the fact that you, that we're in denial of some truth that, and that's what set us on this hero's journey course or this period in the wilderness course is essential that we're in denial, so we can't see it. Mm -hmm. Right, we're we're a fish in water, and we just don't see it. It's like when you finally can see it, then you come out of it, you know, or you maybe you come out of it and then you can see it finally. Yeah, I don't know why that's true, but I think it is true.
1: Yeah, and 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 in retrospect, looking back many years later, you're like. Of course, it's very
0: clear, yeah, incredibly retrospect. clear. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know why Couldn't can't be more clear? Why can't that ga- that yeah. glance be clear? You know, looking forward, yeah. but you know, it's not, it it's not, rig- it's rigged against that. Yeah. It's not wired that way, right? Yeah. Which sucks,
0: uh, <laughs> but that's the way it is, right? <laughs> yeah, for some, it seems to be a law of the universe. I'm, I don't
1: know why. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Well maybe you know we can round this out with just you know a few more laws of the universe for the person who is you know grappling with resistance or perhaps finds finds themselves you know lost in the lost in the forest right now and 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 can't see their way forward because they're not far enough down the way to have that 2020 rearview vision so what
0: do you think? Uh, <laughs> I'm not Speak sure. Speak to the person who's oh, who's what? out there oh. like I'm doing battle with resistance oh. but I can't see like this is I need to quit. Oh, you know what? You I know? I saw actually a great thing. I don't know if you've ever do you ever see um Anthony Hopkins uh, when he's on Instagram. He has like I love him on Instagram. He's great, isn't yeah. he? I mean he's so authentic. Yeah. And uh, this it was a clip. I think he was on some talk show or something like that and they asked him this exact thing you know mm. what what what's the word you because he's the elder statesman of elder statesmen sure. and he said you know and I, I wish I could do the accent he said you know just keep going you know just mm. keep going, keep putting one foot in front of the other, because everything is going to work out in the mm. end, you know. And I thought, and and it was so authentic coming from him. I said, he's absolutely right. Mm. That's the again. That's just like swimming in the ocean. You just got to keep going, because the alternative is, you know, mm. you drown. Mm. So I th- that that will be the truth. Just keep going. There's no there's no uh, there's no plan B. Yeah. All right, man.
1: I love it. <laughs> Well, always good to talk to you. Uh, I, I, you know, can't say enough yeah, this about is great, how Richard. I appreciate I, you yeah. and the work that you do, and the you know inspiration and that you share with the world. I think it's like a, you know, it's a true act of
0: service. Well, thank and you, and I'm so happy to yeah. hear that you've got something percolating that uh, is causing yeah, no, you I'm, 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 at I'm, night. That's yeah, I'm, what, the way I, uh, it should be. But I'm really divided on whether I can talk to you about it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to think about you know. That. I'm I'm happy in all seriousness. I'm happy to talk about it, but I don't need to talk about. I don't need to hear it. It's not like I I need to. I've already decided.
1: I I know what I'm willing to share with you. We'll We'll do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Great, deal. anytime, it's a deal. All right, man, and Right now, you, know, you, you probably to. have another book coming out in another month, right? So <laughs> you can, you're always welcome. Uh, okay. <laughs> <All> right, <laughs> it'll my be a while. And a uh, a while. let's have breakfast soon too, please. Uh, okay, let's yeah. do it. But Cheers. not at that
0: place no. that we went to yeah, the other <laughs> derailed us. We gotta find another place. All right,
1: thanks, buddy. And sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends or on social media is of course awesome and very helpful. And finally, for podcast updates, special offers on books, the meal planner, and other subjects, please subscribe to our newsletter, which you can find on the footer of any page at richroll.com. Today's show was produced and engineered by Jason Camiolo with additional audio engineering by Cale Curtis. The video edition of the podcast was created by Blake Curtis with assistance by our creative director, Dan Drake. Portraits by Davy Greenberg, graphic and social media assets, courtesy of Daniel Solis, Dan Drake, and AJ Akpodiete. Thank you, Georgia Whaley for copywriting and website management. And of course, our theme music was created by Tyler Pyatt, Trapper Pyatt, and Harry Mathis. Appreciate the love, love the support. See you back here soon. Peace, plants.
0: Yeah.